All right, well, I wanted to begin this morning by asking a question. Um, And the question is this, what does a person need to do to get the attention of God? Or another way of putting it is, what is it that God takes notice of? Now, we know that God is a great God. He is almighty. He's omniscient, which is all-knowing. He's infinite. So as great as God is, we would surely have to do something pretty spectacular for God to take notice of us, or at least that's what it would seem. And so I wanted to consider here, before we look into the Word, I wanted to consider a little bit of what the lost world does to try and get noticed by others. One of the things that they do is they promote themselves. They try and show off how good they are. Uh, They climb the career ladder. So if it's in the workplace and they want to be noticed, then they're looking for every promotion, every way to, to go up in the job. Or in politics, you see this. You begin at this level, and then you run for the next level, and pretty soon your ultimate goal is to get to the top. Try and pad their resume, make, make themselves look better. Try and get a bunch of followers on social media or get their 15 minutes of fame on the Internet. Um, I have personally never met the uh, president of the United States, and it's unlikely that I ever will. Um, but what would it take for me to have that opportunity to be able to meet the president, the sitting president in the White House? Probably some feat of courage or bravery, such as being awarded the Medal of Honor or be on a championship sports team and get invited to the White House. In other words, I would have to do something spectacular. You're not likely to meet the president because you show up to your job on time, pay your taxes, and are an ordinary citizen. That just doesn't doesn't get you into the White House. You have to stand out somehow. You have to get noticed, be famous. And I was thinking about this. This idea of standing out actually comes up in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 22, it says this, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. The idea there is if you are really skilled in your job, in your trade, then the king may take notice of you, and he may want you to serve him. And that would be a great honor, but it's not for the ordinary worker. It's for those who are especially skilled. Um, Years ago, uh, when the first George Bush was president, so this would have been the late 80s, early 90s, I heard a story of how he and Barbara Bush invited this Christian musician by the name of Michael W. Smith. They invited him into the White House just for a visit with him. He was in the D.C. area, um, for a concert, and so they invited him over. You know, what an honor. Now, at the time, Michael W. Smith was one of the uh, most recognized names in Christian music um, in the 80s and 90s, and so he was a sort of a celebrity. But even for him, that was a tremendous honor to be invited to the White House. Now, I've been to D.C. twice, and I've never been invited to the White House. Why? I'm a relative nobody. I haven't done anything that the president would take notice of. Well, how does the world try to get the attention of God? We've been talking about how they try and get the attention of others, but how do they try and get the attention of God? In many ways, they employ the same tactics that they use to get noticed in their daily lives. They promote themselves. They pad their resume, so to speak. 
And a few examples I thought of uh, from Scripture on this where people tried to get noticed by God. And the first one is the Pharisee and the publican. This is in Luke chapter 18. I'm just going to read the part about the Pharisee here. Jesus, it says, And he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. And it goes on to say then that what the publican was doing. But what happened there with this Pharisee? He's promoting himself before God, telling God of all the great things that he has done and how he's so much better than others. He's trying to recommend himself to God, to get noticed by God. Um, Another example of this in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So again, this idea of reminding God, look at all these great things that I've done for you. Aren't you impressed? Haven't you taken notice? And really, these passages are characteristic of what every lost person does to earn the favor and gain the attention of God, and that is by trying to do some good work. By doing some good work, maybe God will take notice of me. Well, what about for the believer? Do we ever wrongly try to get God's attention? Do we sometimes have a wrong mindset in that way? Have you ever thought that maybe your prayers aren't heard by God or aren't received as much as some other great Christian? If so-and-so would pray for this, then maybe God would hear him and answer them. Or maybe you've had a thought that if you would just do a little bit more for God, then he would take notice of you. Um, maybe some longer devotional times. I just need to spend more time in the morning in, word, in the word and prayer. Or more evangelizing. More service. If I do this, then maybe God will take notice. Maybe it's not this blatant and obvious, but I'm sure if you think about it, we've all in some way had thoughts like this. I know that God loves me, but if I do something more for him, he will notice and love me even more. In other words, that it's graded. The more I do, the more God takes notice of me. Well, obviously, this is a wrong mindset, but for this, we need to go to Scripture and see what God does say. What does God take notice of? What gets his attention? What is it that is pleasing to the Lord? And so let's turn to Isaiah chapter 66. And just look at two verses here. Isaiah chapter 66, beginning in verse 1, says this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me, and where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble 
and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. So what draws the attention of God and is pleasing to him is so completely contrary to everything in this world. God isn't impressed by something spectacular. Instead, he gives attention to the humble. God isn't impressed when we achieve something great. Instead, he takes notice when we are contrite. God isn't impressed with any religious activity. Instead, he takes notice when we tremble at his word. Every attempt to get noticed by God is just another form of some kind of works mentality. All the examples we talked about earlier were somebody trying to do something to gain God's favor, to gain his attention. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God takes notice of the heart. We, men's eyes are all on the outward performance. What can I do to look better? But God sees through all of that, and he looks at the heart. What we will see as we go on here is that what the Lord looks at is the heart attitude and the actions that flow from that heart attitude. So I want to take just a few moments and look at these three things that are mentioned here in um, Isaiah 66, verse 2. These three things are humility, contrition, and trembling at God's word. And this will be very brief. It's not going to be in-depth. I just want to briefly talk about each one of these. So the first one, humility. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, and this comes up other places as well, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So why is it that pride is so offensive to God? And why is it that he is so inclined to show mercy and grace to the humble? Well, pride is at the root of every sin. And sin separates us from God. Sin is anti-God. Pride is anti-God. So to approach God in any way other than with humility is an offense to God. Now, there is no true humility, and I, I stress that, no true humility apart from God. Or put another way, there is no true humility in an unbeliever or a non-Christian. True humility is a Christian thing. It is not found in the lost world. You may find some degree of modesty in the world. Some people may toot their horn a lot less than others, but apart from God, there is no true humility. Humility is not an action in and of itself. Humility is an attitude, and that attitude affects our actions. You can't just wake up one morning and decide, I am going to be humble today. Um, you can't put it on, uh, put on humility in a way that is separate from God. Now, in Colossians, Paul talks about this. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, uh, we are to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So Paul specifically says, put on humility. But as you go a little further, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell 
within you. And then a little later, he also talks about the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. So you see that this putting on of humility is completely dependent on God. It is not done in a way that is separate from God or is independent of God. So what is humility? Well, humility is a heart attitude before God in light of who he is and who we are. He is the sovereign, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent God of the universe. So that describes a pretty great God. We are mortal and finite. We are creatures created by God and for God. In light of the fact that God is infinitely greater than me, humility causes me to voluntarily submit my own wants, wishes, and desires and bow to him. Humility, you might say, is a posture of dying to self and looking with dependence to God. There is no self-reliance with true humility. God is honored and he is pleased with those who are completely dependent on him. Uh, When Solomon prayed to God and asked for wisdom and discernment to rule Israel as king, if you remember, God uh, came to him after he had uh, made all these sacrifices at the Um, with the temple related to the temple, and the Lord came to him and said, Ask whatever you wish. And Solomon asked that the Lord would give him a spirit of wisdom and discernment to know how to rule Israel. And this is what it said um, in 1 Kings 3.10. It says, It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Well, what was at the heart of Solomon's request? In humility, Solomon depended on God. He recognized that apart from God, he could not rule this nation. And he was leaning, depending, putting all of his hope, all of his trust in God and asking him for help. And that, it says, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So, um, wrapping this one up, what great thing do we need to do to gain God's attention? Be humble. Micah 6 verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? So there's a good lead in. What does the Lord require of us? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. That is what the Lord requires. That is what is pleasing to him, and that is what he takes notice of. Well, the second thing, contrite, here in Isaiah 66 says, to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite. So we don't use this word contrite very much. Uh, dictionary definition says, feeling or showing sorrow and remorse for a sin or shortcoming. So it has to do with remorse, repentance, brokenness over sin. Contrition is a fruit of humility. Um, contrition and repentance grow, you might say, on the foundation of humility. Only when we humble ourselves before the Lord will we ever truly see our sin and our need. Um, going back to this um, parable here of the, or the Pharisee and the publican there in Luke 18, I'm going to skip over the part about the Pharisee because we just read that, um, but go down here to where it talks about the, um, 
the tax collector. It says, verse 13, this is Luke 18, 13, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then Jesus goes on and says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you see the connection here. In verse 13, we see the contrition of this uh, tax collector. It says he's beating his breast and his head bowed down. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There's the remorse of sin, the guilt of sin, and he's crying out to God. And then you see in verse 14, Jesus says that he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you see that connection there, the contrition and the humility. The contrition and repentance was a direct result of him humbling himself before the Lord. In Psalm 51, David says this, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And then also in Isaiah 57, and this one really is similar to what we just read in Isaiah 66, says uh, this, Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And this idea of the lowly in spirit, that's, that's the idea of humility. God dwells with, he lives with those who are humble and contrite. So um, what does it take to get God's attention? What is it that's pleasing to him? humility, and contrition. Well, the third thing then in this passage in Isaiah 66, trembling at God's word. What does it mean to tremble at God's word? Trembling has to do with uh, taking the word of God seriously. There is a sense of awe and reverence and fear. This gets back to the first point on humility. If there is humility in the heart, recognizing who God is, the one who sits on his throne in heaven, as it says, and uses earth as his footstool, and if you recognize your place before God, then there should be a sense of reverence and fear. Again, thinking of the infinite difference between God and myself. I'm created by God for God, and he's this infinite God. When we see that, truly see that, there should be reverence and fear. And when he speaks, you will listen. This has to do with position and authority. And I I thought of an example on this. This is a uh, rather humorous example, but I think it brings across this point. Um, I sent one of my older daughters outside to call in the two younger kids for something, I don't know, dinner time or something that I needed them for. And so the older daughter went outside and said, kids, come inside. No response. 
Then they rephrased it. Kids, dad said, come inside. And all of a sudden, there was action. They are going to obey now. What's the difference? The same command was given. Kids, come inside. The difference was there was authority with that second one. Dad said. It's no longer just older sister said. Now it's dad is behind this. He's speaking. And when there is authority, then there's reverence. There's a fear. There's a submission. And um, you see this in the the military all the time. I mean, if you were in the military and you had your fellow soldier right next to you and he said, you go do this, you may or may not listen to that because he's just one of your fellow soldiers. But if your commanding officer says, you go do this, you listen and you obey because there's authority there. If you don't see God as having authority over your life, you won't take his word seriously. You won't tremble at his word. You see, it has to do with humility and pride. If I think I'm bigger than I am and God is less than he is, then I'm not going to take his word seriously. Well, God has all authority. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Well, what does it look like for someone to tremble at God's word? And there's a lot that could be said on this, but some things that come to my mind are, and again, this all has to do with trembling at his word. One, this is very basic, listening. Listening to his word is a a way of trembling at his word. Giving attention to it. Obeying it. Obviously, you could listen to it all day long, but if you don't do it, there's, there's not a sense of trembling at his word. What about searching it out? If, we, if there's a sense in which God has said something, then I need to search it out. I need to see what it says. Meditating on it. There, there is a sense in which if this is a valuable thing or if this is coming from God himself, I want to meditate. I want to think about this. It's important to me. And then the final one, treasuring it. And really all of these are, are connected. But to treasure something... That means that there's value there. I think about this. Um, Deanna and I, when we met, it was just before the days of that email had really taken off. And so we were still writing letters back and forth. And, of course, we didn't send a lot of them. But every two to three or four weeks, we'd get a letter. And so you would read it and set it down. And then maybe the next day, you'd pick it up and read it again because it was the only communication we had. And so there was a sense of treasuring it. It wasn't just, well, read that, throw it in the trash like it was a bill that I had just paid or something. But there was a sense of treasuring it. I wanted to know what was said. Do we do that with God's word? Do we treasure it? Do we search it out? That is a way in which we tremble at his word. It has value to us. Psalm 119, 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. I think that's, that's a good description of what it is to tremble at God's word, treasuring his word in your heart that you may not sin against him. Well, it pleases God. He takes notice of those who are humble and contrite and who tremble at his word. I want to just finish this time up by closing with a a little different thought here. You may realize in all this that there is a problem for the believer. When it says that God takes notice of the humble and contrite and those who tremble at his word, 
you probably realize that you fall short in every one of these. Although you seek to humble yourself before the Lord, there is still so much pride that you're aware of. And although you are broken over your sin, you realize that you're not broken like you ought to be. And although you take the word of God seriously, you realize that you still don't tremble at his word like you ought to. And if God takes notice of the humble and the contrite and those who tremble at his word, and you know that you're falling short, so far short in every one of these, where is there any encouragement for the believer? Well, the encouragement is that there is one who perfectly lived this out. And of this one, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Lord was pleased with everything that Jesus did, and he lived this out perfectly. Was there ever anyone who humbled himself more than Christ? We see this in Philippians chapter 2. You can turn there if you want, but this is a very familiar passage. Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then this, these next few verses, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here is the ultimate example of humility. We are to humble ourselves before the Lord, but no one has ever humbled himself like Christ. Here he was one with God, seated with God, humbled himself by becoming a man. Not just a man to walk on this earth, but a man to bear our sins, to die on the cross. This is the ultimate example of humility. Was there ever someone who was more broken over sin? He himself was perfectly sinless. He was not broken over his own sin as a sinless man, but he was broken over the sin of others. And there's so many different angles you could look at this because in many ways you could say he was broken because of our sin. His body was broken for our sins. But there also was a sense in which he felt the sin, and it, it grieved him. He was broken over the sins of others. In, uh, you see this in the way he addresses Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13, verse 34. It says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. So you see there the the burden that Christ had there for Jerusalem. You also see it uh, when Jesus says in Mark 3 that he was grieved at their hardness of heart. Think of that, grieved. Oftentimes for us, when we see sin, oftentimes, at least speaking for myself, it it elicits wrong emotions, anger, frustration in some way. Christ was grieved at their hardness of heart. Well, what about trembling at God's word? What do we see there in the life of Christ? Well, here's the one who was the word there in John chapter 1 who submitted himself to the words of God. 
Was there ever someone who knew the word of God like Jesus did? How was he so knowledgeable of the scriptures? Was it because he himself was God? And I would say to that, no, that is not the reason that Jesus was so knowledgeable of the scriptures. It's because as he quoted to Satan in Matthew chapter 4, when he was being tempted there, he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus lived on the word of God. It said he would fast from food and drink for days on end. He would stay up all night to be with his father, but he would never fast from God's word or from spending time in prayer with his father. He wouldn't do that. That that was sacred to him. It was important to him. He would give up other things to spend time with his father. That is the ultimate example of trembling at God's word, treasuring his word. So in conclusion then, when we look at these passages in um, Isaiah 66 here and this exhortation to us that if we want to gain the attention of, of God, it is not through doing something great. It is through living a simple life of humility, repentance, and trembling at his word. And honestly, even thinking about it as a father to my own children, when I see my son or my daughter striving to do what is right, even through their own failures, there is a sense of rejoicing in my heart when I see that effort. How much more in the heart of God when he sees his children seeking to follow after him. But even through all that, that's not going to commend us to God. Well, I gave it my best shot. No, that's not enough. But there is one. There is one who is perfectly accepted before God. And we can be perfectly accepted um, by God because of Christ. And just a reminder, it was said of Christ, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you are in Christ, you are well pleasing to the Father. And it's not because of any great thing that you've done, but because of what Christ has done. Amen. Amen.